Now there's some sort of football game going on down here, I gather. I'm under strict orders to keep my uh, remarks to a limit because someone wants to get and watch some silly game. Follower of the Geelong Cats or something, is it? Uh, well, forget it. I'm in charge now and I'll take an hour or so. <laughs> no, I won't. Let's just pray as we come to the Word of God. We thank you, our loving Father, for this privilege of having your word, the Bible, in our heart language, of living in a free society where we can meet and hear you speak to us, of having one another to encourage and love and pray for one another. And Heavenly Father, we know that these blessings, uh, many of our brothers and sisters in the world today would give anything to be able to share them with us. Make us, our Father, therefore responsible as we come to your word, uh, that we might take it in and bring forth in us the fruit of repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. I know of no greater tonic in the realm of the Spirit than a thorough reading of that book. Now that is a quote from a physician, a very well-known English physician by the name of Dr Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welsh physician actually, who left medical practice behind and became the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London over many years. And in the years that he was at Westminster Chapel as a great preacher, Dr Lloyd-Jones most Friday nights preached his way through the Book of Romans. And in fact, you can get copies of those sermons and each of the volumes of those sermons, each of the books is dedicated to the faithful and enthusiastic Friday nighters who turned up to hear Dr Lloyd-Jones from 1955 to 1968 preach his way partially through Romans. He got only up to halfway through chapter 14. And therefore, when you hear him say something like that, a thorough reading of this book is the greatest tonic I know of in the realm of the spirit. He's always talking about Romans. But he's not. He's talking about Acts. I know of no greater tonic in the realm of the spirit than a thorough reading of that book. The book of Acts. And a tonic is something that is good for you. A tonic is something that will lift you up. A tonic is something that will revive you. I know of no greater tonic in the realm of the spirit than a thorough reading of that book. Now, please open your Bibles right back to where Luke, under God, the author of Luke and Acts, he gives his major introduction to his two-volume work, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. <coughs> he gives it in chapter 1 of Luke, verses 1 to 4. Let's have a look at these verses. And if they're, they can be up here, so we can see them more clearly, if you like. Look at Luke 1, 1 to 4. Notice what he says. He is writing for his patron, who is Theophilus. And in verse 1, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have happened. No, he doesn't say that. Look at the word. I'm writing about things which have been fulfilled. A purpose is being worked out. In verse 2, he tells us the source of his material. He talks about eyewitnesses and servants of the word. 
In verse 3, he talks about his research method. He says, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. <coughs> and then he says, my purpose is to be to set down an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I want you to look at verse 4. Because, of course, when Luke wrote, he wrote in Greek. And the order of the Greek shows the importance that the importance falls on the last word. And this is the order of verse 4. So that you might know this, of, of the things you have been taught, the certainty. The last word of what he writes for Theophilus is, I want you to be sure, I want you to be certain, so that you might of the things that I have written, that you might have certainty. Now, please move over to the end of Luke. And we're going to look at the last verses of Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, <coughs> and see how this is the bridge into the book of Acts. Look at Luke 24, verse 46. In Luke 24, verse 46, this is what it says. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, told them, This is what is written... That Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Would you look at that? Remarkable two verses, aren't they? Look at verse 46 again. Isn't that a very good summary of the Gospel of Luke, volume 1? That the Christ is going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to rise from the dead on the third day. And look at verse 47. Isn't verse 47 an excellent summary of the book of Acts? And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I find when I read the Bible, I often read over the text. Look at verse 47 again. What is the first word of verse 47? It is the word and. And that word means that verse 47 is as much the purpose of God as verse 46. Now, if you deny verse 46, you're denying the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, that's heresy, isn't it? If you deny verse 47, in many circles, that's orthodoxy. But you see, we say, don't we? We don't need to go to the ends of the earth. After all, all the earth has come to us. As though Africa and India and Indonesia are all empty now. No, it is as much the purpose of God that the gospel should reach the ends of the earth as that the Christ should suffer, die and rise from the dead. One is not more important than other in the, uh, in the mind of God. They are both equally the purpose of God. Now, come with me over to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and you see, don't you, the bridge between Luke and Acts. Because here, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we read these words of our Lord Jesus, but you, verse 8, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I put it to you that the book of Acts has one purpose. Luke is showing us that God's gospel is unstoppable and no matter what humankind put in its way, the gospel will reach its great goal. And do you know the last word in the book of Acts? Well, have a look there. Look up to chapter 28 of Acts. 
Luke uses last words well. Let me just read in the order in which Luke states verse 31 of Acts 28. Look at the last word of Acts. This is what it says. Paul preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ boldly and unhinderedly. You know, the gospel's not hindered. It's an adverb. The gospel's unstoppable. The gospel is going to reach the ends of the earth. Because God is the great evangelist. He is the sovereign evangelist. And he empowers his people by his Holy Spirit. So tonight we're going to look at one truth. That the Holy Spirit, who we are going to concentrate on this weekend, is the Holy Spirit of witness. Now let's come back with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to look at verses 1 to 8. Notice what Luke says here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Notice at the very beginning, Luke tells us that what Jesus did in his humanity, he did in complete fellowship in complete concert with the Holy Spirit himself. That Jesus himself acted in the power of the Holy Spirit. He gave instructions, notice, through the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. Now notice that this is the Jesus who's been raised from the dead. This is the Jesus who is speaking to his disciples who've had a theological training like no one else. They have been with Jesus himself. They know that he's been been put to death. They know that he's been raised. They're ready to get out there. Look at what he says. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. You wait for the Holy Spirit, because no matter how well prepared you are, no matter how well educated you are, you are inadequate without the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on in verse 5, for John baptized with water, you know that. But in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He mentions him again. Now, there's what John was doing was just looking forward to the coming of the Holy Spirit. When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you going to, at this time, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. Do you notice, dear friends, that in these first eight verses, Luke is very much concerned to tell us That what Jesus did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus did was to tell his disciples to wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon them. That what John the Baptist was talking about was a forerunner of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they would receive power in order to be God's witnesses. And if they need that emphasis, don't you think that you and I need that emphasis? And isn't it interesting? 
that all the way through Luke's account, when Peter stands up before the Sanhedrin, what does he say? He says, we are witnesses and so is the Holy Spirit. And when the first missionaries are selected to go out, Luke tells us that Barnabas and Paul, Saul, the Holy Spirit said, set them apart. And when the church reached a determination in Acts 15, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. What we are seeing in the book of Acts is a community which is living in the presence and an awareness of the Holy Spirit and being empowered by him. Let's look at one example. Come with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 4. Here is Peter. The beggar has been, the crippled beggar has been healed. And Peter stands up before the people, the Sanhedrin. (coughs) Notice, they ask him, in what power did you heal this man? Look at verse 10 of Acts chapter 4. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is Jesus, no pebble in the building. He is the major capstone in the building. And I want you to know, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now look at these theologians, what they said. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter's boldness. Peter stands up to the Jewish religious authorities and he tells them that unless they change their attitude to Jesus, there is no way they will be lost. But did you read over verse 8? Look at what Luke says. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He could have left that out, but Luke doesn't. Luke reminds us that what Peter does He does, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Come over with me to chapter 7. And here we see Stephen. And here Stephen is standing up before the same people. He's standing before the Sanhedrin. Look at verse 51 of Acts chapter 7. Here is the witness Stephen. He says to them, you stiff-necked people, you've got uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your father. Was there ever a prophet you didn't persecute? You see, Stephen's on the front foot. Verse 54, when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But look at what Luke says. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Luke could have just said, but Stephen stood up and said to them, but he doesn't. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit. I ask you, dear friends, if that is the apostolic experience, do you share that experience? Do you know the Holy Spirit and do you know the Holy Spirit empowering you for witness? Now come with me back to Acts chapter 2. And it's the day of Pentecost. Uh, I used to lecture on Acts. For uh, 20 years at our college, I lectured on Acts. Basically, the first time I le- started lecturing on Acts, I had to do it because nobody else wanted to do it. And I thought, well, I'll do it. I don't particularly want to do it either. But after I started to lecture on it, I started to think, what a great book this is. 
And I can remember on one occasion, a student came up to me and said, do you think that Luke was a married man? I said, I'm sure Luke was a married man. And I tell you, I believe he had children as well. How do you know he had children? Because whenever Luke says anything that's really important, he repeats it three times. (laughs) Therefore, that's the sign of a father, isn't it? I'll tell you once, I'll tell you twice, I'll tell you three times. And isn't it interesting? That when you come to the book of Acts, on three occasions we read of three people groups being baptised in the Holy Spirit. The Jews here in chapter 2, the Samaritans in chapter 8, and the Gentiles, the non-Jews, non-Samaritans in chapter chapter 10. That's remarkable, isn't it? He's saying you need to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. And look at what he said. What happens on this day? Have a look at chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, uh, Sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. It's the day of Pentecost. What happens, verse 4, all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Notice in verse 2, there's a wind, a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So what you're seeing, you're hearing the wind... You're seeing the tongues of fire come down. And what happens? You're having a reversal of the Tower of Babel where the languages were confused, but now they're being brought together. Verse 14. And they began to speak as the Holy Spirit enabled them in other tongues. The Greek word is glosa, from which we get glosolalia, speak in tongues. But look more. Verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. The Greek word is dialectos, dialect. So these tongues are not gobbledygook. These tongues are actually a language, a discernible language. God is breaking down the language barrier and the Holy Spirit is enabling his people to tell forth the wonders of God in a language that can be understood by all these different language groups without any of these recipients ever going into a language laboratory. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of witness. And Peter stands up and what does he talk about? Look at verse 17. He says to these people from a Jewish background, he quotes to them from the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. There'll be no barrier to gender. It'll be men and women, sons and daughters, old men and old women. And there'll be no age barrier either. These are going to be great days of hearing about God. Verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then notice what he says, verse 23. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was not; it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. See, there's the clearest distinction between what you did to Jesus in rejecting him and nailing him to the cross... And what God did to Jesus by raising him from the dead and freeing him from the agony of death. And Peter makes it clear that when David was speaking, as he was in Psalm 16, look at verse 26. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. 
You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. It's a remarkable thing for David to say. And yet he says, brothers, I can tell you that David did die. And the body of David did see decay. So what is David talking about? Verse 31. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. Here is the spirit of witness testifying through Peter, who on the day of Pentecost preaches a sermon like this. Like what? He doesn't preach about the Holy Spirit. He preaches about the Lord Jesus. Someone called the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity because when you're, to- when you're in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is talking about Jesus. When Paul met the disciples of John the Baptist who'd never heard of the Holy Spirit, what did he speak to them about? Jesus. And when they heard about Jesus, they came to receive the Holy Spirit. Someone said, I looked to the dove. I looked for the dove of the Spirit. But it flew away. I looked to the cross and the dove flew into my life. Come to Jesus and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Pentecostal sermon was about Jesus. And it was in the power of the Holy Spirit. And look at what happened that day. Therefore, let all Israel, verse 36, be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, Brothers, what shall we do? Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of witness. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptised, and 3,000 were added that day to their number. Dear friends, what a tonic this is. The day in which we live is terribly depressing. Secularisation. Rampant secularism. Islamisation. The task seems to be hopeless. There's so much Christianity that is shallow. There's so much Christianity that is tainted by the world. And yet you come here and there's a tonic. Because you see the church baptised in the Holy Spirit. And Luke keeps the camera on the book of Acts always on the gospel. We want to follow all the characters home. But Luke moves the camera of the book of Acts onto the gospel and shows it that this gospel is an unstoppable gospel. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of power. I was blind, he caused me to see. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of power. You were deaf and he caused you to hear. You could not be a Christian if it were not for the Holy Spirit unstopping deaf ears and uncovering blind eyes and showing you the Lord Jesus. And remember that his witness is a part of a twofold witness. Do you remember when Jesus said, I am the light of the world? 
The Jews said, you can't appear as your own witness. You say you're the light of the world. We say you're not. Our witness cancels your witness. Oh, no, Jesus said, I say I'm the light of the world. And my heavenly father is the second witness who testifies that I am the light of the world. Oh, dear friends, here I get into my cab today at Spencer Street Railway Station. And here is my Turkish cab driver. What are you doing in Melbourne? I'm here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am a Muslim. Aha, are you? Yes, I am a Muslim. At this stage, I was already feeling car sick before I even got into the car. I didn't want to talk to anyone. But he kept on at me. Why would you be a believer? Because I believe that Jesus is true, that I believe that Jesus is God raised from the dead. Historical. Well then, what should I do? I believe that Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. Well, when you go home tonight, you pray to God, your heavenly father, and ask him to show himself to you. And nothing will happen if Jesus is not God. But if Jesus is God, he will show himself to you. And you can be sure of that. And so speak. The Holy Spirit, a two-part witness. I speak, he speaks. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. God the Father says, I am the light of the world. Dear friends, what I'm saying to you tonight is this. We do not all have the same gifts. We do not all have the same opportunities of service. But you, if you are a believer, have the same Holy Spirit living in you as I have living in me and as every other believer in this room has living in them. And the Holy Spirit is bursting to talk about the Lord Jesus. Here I am in a food hall in Sydney. I'm sitting at a table with my friend sitting opposite me. My friend gets up to get a cup of coffee for us. While he's gone, I'm sitting there alone. On a table diagonally opposite me, there's about that much room between our table and hers, is a lady sitting diagonally opposite me. I'm sitting here, she's sitting there. In our culture, what do you do in a case like that? Well, you don't talk, because we're a shy people, and your eyes don't meet. But as I'm sitting there, I just looked at her and I said, what sort of a day are you having? With a smile. She said, I have never been as nervous as I am today. I'm about to go to a specialist and he's going to give me the results of a medical test. Dear friends, where did that question come from? What sort of a day are you having today? I'm shy. I'd rather not talk to people. But the Holy Spirit is the spirit of witness. One of our graduates who works in a Muslim-majority country, a man by the name of Mike, came back after two terms in this Muslim-majority country and he said, do you want to witness to Muslims? I'll give you the best opening line I've got. It never fails but gets a response from every Muslim I speak to. We're all listening, aren't Don't you want to witness to Muslims? Sure. What's your opening line? He said, here's the opening line. G'day, my name's Mike. What's yours? Now, you substitute your name for Mike, whatever it is. But open a conversation. Why are we so reluctant? 
because we lack so much confidence in the Holy Spirit who is living in us. And the Holy Spirit picks us up and causes us to speak. I was raised in a family where uh, we were not Christians. My father was a great mocker of Christianity. And then at age 48, he was driving along with a friend of his and this friend told him about Jesus, just like that. My father became a Christian. And he came home and told us that he'd become a Christian. I thought, oh, he's a joker. He's, he's always having a go at Christians. He, it can't be true. It was true. And do you know, many years ago, I met that man who witnessed to my father, and his name was Ernie. And by the time I met him again, he was 92 years of age, and I'm speaking at a men's breakfast. And I said, Mr. Crocker, I said, you always had an evangelistic tract on you. And he pulled it out at the age of 92, and he said, I've still got it here, David. There'll be many people in heaven because of this little tract. And I said, yeah, probably because of the death and resurrection of Jesus as well. They'll be in heaven. (laughs) But you couldn't shut Ernie up. Because he's always ready to open a conversation. I've just come back from the United Kingdom. They interviewed on BBC Radio the UK Teacher of the Year. What makes you such an outstanding teacher? He said, I'm a teacher of science in high school. I think most kids, when they come into the science laboratory, think that science is for the particularly intelligent. My role is to teach every child that science is for the person of average intelligence. You can do it. And my great goal tonight is to say to you, dear friends, wrapped up in all our shyness, that if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, evangelism is for you. We may not all have the same gifts. We may not all have the same opportunities. But we do have the same Holy Spirit through faith in the Lord Jesus. And Luke tells us that everything that is accomplished in the book of Acts is accomplished in the power of the Holy Spirit. He will not allow us to come back away from the book of Acts and say, Oh, that Paul, wasn't he a hero? Oh, wasn't Stephen something? Wasn't Barnabas something? No. On every occasion when they are asked what has happened, they tell people what God has done through them. All glory to Almighty God. Now let me close this brief excursus into Acts. Come with me to Acts chapter 18 to what is my favourite verse in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul is in a very difficult place. He's in the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth is a very, very worldly city. In Acts chapter 18, verse 9, God speaks directly to Paul in a vision. Look at verse 9. And God says, the Lord says to Paul, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Isn't that interesting? I don't know about you, but I never think of Paul being scared. I never think of Paul uh, being tempted not to speak. But he must have been scared. He must have been tempted not to speak because God doesn't speak unnecessarily. And he says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't you be silent. Why? For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. Now that's God saying to Paul, Paul, I'm the great evangelist. 
I know who are mine in Corinth. You may not know who they are, but you go on speaking. Because as you speak, the Holy Spirit will add his witness and I'll be calling people out to know me. I've many people in this place. So don't be afraid. You go on preaching. Now, I don't know where you live. I don't know where you work. I don't know where you go to school or university. But I know all of you have something to do with Surrey Hills. You keep on. You keep on starting the conversation. You keep on carrying the evangelistic tract. You keep on coming out of your cultural shell. Because I want you to know that I have many people in Surrey Hills. And they don't yet know me. But they are waiting for a two-part witness. You speak. And as you speak, I will impress the truth. Oh, there'll be some opposition. There'll be some worldliness. There'll be some shallowness. But there will be good soil. So you speak. Primarily, God the Holy Spirit is the spirit of witness. He's poured out by God the Father through God the Son in order to direct our attention back not to himself, but to the Lord Jesus. Everything Jesus did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them, wait till you receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them what John was talking about as a forerunner of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You can have every theological degree in the world but if you are not a believer, if you are not indwelt and baptised by the Holy Spirit, you will accomplish nothing of lasting value for the kingdom of God. There was a, an, a New Zealand professor of classics by the name of Ian e. Blakelock, the late Ian e. Blakelock. He wrote a wonderful little commentary on the book of Acts. His last word of introduction about this book was this. He said, to press beyond the fringe is always sound policy, provided it is done with vigour and devotion. To press beyond the fringe, the next street, the next house, the next suburb, city, country, that next person. Do you ever think that? Here they are in coals. They're just standing there waiting like I'm waiting. It's never offensive, is it, to say, what sort of a day are you having? And leave the results to God. Have your tract ready. You'll receive power. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Everything that was accomplished in the book of Acts was accomplished in the power of the Holy Spirit. Know the Spirit and you'll know effectiveness in your witness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are shy. We tend to keep our mouth closed. Sometimes it's because of fear. Sometimes it's just because of self-consciousness. 
we thank you so much that through faith in our Lord Jesus, we have received the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power. And if the Holy and if the apostles needed to know the Spirit in their life, not just going out with what they knew about the Lord Jesus and what they had seen, well, we certainly need him too. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit and we pray that you'll revive us with a new confidence and a new awareness of him and that we would know that he is the one who is filling our tongues to speak about the Lord Jesus. Help us to open conversations, we pray. And we pray that you, as the great evangelist, will do your work as we do that. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.